Good morning. It's Friday, November 5th. I'm Shemitah Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. Opening statements are today in the trial of three white men charged with murder and other felony counts in the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, who was black. He was chased and shot to death while jogging in Georgia last year. The Washington Post looks at the controversy surrounding jury selection. The jury that will hear this case is nearly all white. Only one of the jurors is black. And for perspective, keep in mind this is happening in a county where more than a quarter of the population is black. During jury selection, attorneys asked potential jurors about their views on Black Lives Matter, on the Confederate flag, and the criminal justice system. Twelve black people were considered for the jury. Defense attorneys struck all but one of them. The prosecution protested this, but the judge declined to reseat them. The three defendants have pleaded not guilty. They've said they were trying to make a citizen's arrest. Police never connected Arbery to any crime. NPR looks at the citizen's arrest law. And at the time of Arbery's killing, Georgia had a law in place that allowed citizens to arrest somebody that they reasonably suspected of trying to escape from a felony. A law professor told NPR, Georgia's law dates back to 1863. He says it has a racist legacy, that it was basically a law designed to catch enslaved people who managed to escape. After Arbery's death, this law was repealed. But these three men will be tried under the law as it stood at the time of the killing. The law professor NPR spoke to said Georgia's so-called stand-your-ground law might also be a factor. It can allow the use of deadly force if a person reasonably believes they're at risk of serious injury or death. A similar law in Florida came up in the killing of Black teenager Trayvon Martin. George Zimmerman was found not guilty in that shooting. Would you be okay with living in a neighborhood where the air you breathe puts you at a higher risk of cancer? Of course, the answer is no. But most of us have no way of knowing whether the air around us is safe. That is until now. A group of journalists at ProPublica spent two years putting together a detailed map of cancer-causing industrial air pollution. And they found over 1,000 hotspots. These hotspots, they're not evenly spread out across the country. They often exist in clusters, like a stretch in Louisiana known as Cancer Alley. That particular area is full of oil refineries and chemical plants. There's even a name for these places, Sacrifice Zones. We spoke to ProPublica reporter Layla Yunus. Approximately a quarter of a million people are being exposed to an estimated cancer risk from industrial air pollution at levels that the EPA considers unacceptable. ProPublica's analysis says... Some 74 million Americans live in areas where the cancer risk is far higher than the EPA's goals. Eunice told us the story of Brittany Madison. She lives in Baytown, Texas, and her apartment is near more than 170 facilities that give off toxic emissions. She lives miles down the road from the largest refinery in the country. It's an Exxon refinery that emits benzene and butadiene. She lives with her sister and nieces and nephews and her young son, Eunice explained what's happening to the family's health, especially her niece who has asthma. Her niece can't really go outside. And once a month, about 
Her lips turn blue and they have to rush her to the hospital where she's given steroid injections and put on supplemental oxygen. She feels like someone's pumping gasoline onto her front porch every day. Brittany is pregnant with her second child now. And she says the first chance she gets, she wants to move far away from Texas and not look back. You really should see ProPublica's data as it's displayed on this map for yourself. It shows us where toxic air is choking communities. In Delaware, the air surrounding a daycare playground contains a chemical that could lead to lymphoma and breast cancer. In Texas, there's this one school surrounded by air laced with gas that can cause leukemia. This reporting portrays the EPA as struggling to keep our air clean. The 1970 Clean Air Act was meant to tackle industrial pollution by setting standards for several types of pollutants. But that law didn't focus on nearly 200 dangerous chemicals that are now known to be harmful. The way ProPublica is framing this, a lack of funding and industry lobbying weaken regulations. The director of the EPA's Office of Environmental Justice says... Addressing hotspots will require working back through decades of regulations, quote, unpacking and untying a whole series of knots. When you hear the word snowbirds, an image of retirees living that good, good life probably pops into your mind, right? What a dream. One climate gets too cold, move to another. And then there are the other perks. Proximity to family, establishing residency in a state without income tax. Looking at you, Florida. (laughs) All of these are strong enough motivators for the silver set. But it turns out this year, snowbirds are looking much younger. Yeah, this comes from an article in Money magazine, and it's looking at this new trend. Younger people who were spurred by the pandemic buying a seasonal home in a warmer climate. Now that so many people are able to work from home, a lot more young people are saying, well, what if my home could have palm trees in the backyard all winter long? (laughs) One real estate agent told Money, these younger people account for around 25 percent of the buying and selling activity in Miami. And if remote work continues, we could see this snowbird trend get even bigger among 30 and 40-year-olds. A Pew survey found more than half of workers who can do their job from home would prefer to stay remote long term. Daylight saving time ends early on Sunday morning, so you're going to need to move your clocks back an hour. These days, it's not really much of a hassle. Our phones and a lot of other devices do it automatically. Worst case, maybe you have to fiddle with the time on your microwave. But just imagine if you had to reset the time for hundreds and hundreds of clocks. That's what the British royal family's staff had to do. Travel and Leisure has this story. The UK moved its clocks back last week. The royal staff shared their experiences on social media. They had to work on a massive collection of timepieces, about 1,500 of them, some of which are centuries old. And a few of these clocks are just huge. One of them has gears the size of tires. The guy whose job it is to mess with this clock has to operate this huge crank with two hands. Yeah, there are these musical clocks. There are astronomical clocks, miniature clocks. All of them need to be reset manually by hand. So consider this a royal reminder to move your clocks back this weekend and enjoy the extra hour of sleep. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And check out our weekend interview show, In Conversation. This week, I spoke with the journalist Josh Dean. 
He's the host of a new podcast series from Apple TV Plus called Hooked. It's about a corporate engineer who became a prolific bank robber after getting addicted to opioids. It's an exceptional story. It's a story about a man who robbed 30 banks in one year. And and of course, you're going to want to hear how and why that happened. But it's also a very typical story. It's the story that thousands, if not millions of Americans could tell about someone that they loved who got addicted to a pill and their life fell apart. Enjoy that weekend. Listen, we'll be back with the news on Monday. 